Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Uh, or just jumping in, it really doesn't matter when you jump in, because I'm, I'm going to be doing um, uh, just a wrap-up, but also we're going to talk about the very last um, the very last tool that we have when it comes to working to rid ourselves of a very difficult mida, which is called hakpada which is that when somebody hurts us or offends us or insults us or does something that we feel is just not correct or not according to the standards that in the way that we would do it, we tend to not only get hurt and insulted and offended, but very often we hold on to those feelings and we have a very hard time letting them go. And whether we're the object of someone else's hakpada or whether we are the one doing it, the only person that it really hurts, and we have to remember that, is ourselves. And the other person is probably totally forgotten about it, totally oblivious to it, you know, and um, very often they are. And when we go over and over and over it again and again and ruminate on what happened, we're really just, again, just destroying and hurting ourselves. And we're... we're, um, it takes up a lot of space, it, 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 it creates a lot of negative energy, and we're doing ourselves, the best thing that we can do for ourselves, self-care, as they say, right, by trying to get rid of it. So we talked about, I actually got an acronym now for all of them, so we're going to call it MEND IT. Okay, oh, isn't that good, Mend I was actually in Florida. I was walking on the beach. I said to my husband, "Help me with this." And I told him the, the you know, he's good at this stuff. So I told him the the, the different categories of of um, of the tools to help get rid of it. So we came up with mend it. So the M is for measuring stick, right? That we said the first tool is very often we walk around with a measuring stick with other people. I did this for you and you didn't do that for me. I, you know, whatever it is, whatever the situation. And Rashi tells us in the uh, Pasuk that talks about in Rosh Hashanah that the way that Hashem judges us is according to how well we overlook the transgressions of others. So, so to the degree that we overlook other people's deficiencies and mistakes and let it go, that is the way Hashem acts in kind to us. So we have that image of the person with the measuring stick, and Rashi says the word midotav, which means character traits or to pass over uh, the situation, also can mean a measuring tool. And so when we drop it, when we drop the measuring stick and walk away, we free ourselves from hakpada. So that was the uh, M. The E is express, right? We said that one of the tools is to talk it out. So chacha. <laughs> to actually have a conversation with the person who's offended you and hurt you. 
And we talked for a long time about how difficult that is and why there are so many defenses against wanting to do it because we're worried once we say something, well, it's going to get even worse or the person's not going to be macabre or we might even find out that, guess what, it was our mistake and actually they aren't the ones that did anything wrong, but actually it was a misunderstanding and we're the ones that started the ball rolling. And so there are so many reasons and so many methods of how to give tochacha that one has to learn and one has to become better and better at. So that's the E, that we can express ourselves and, and um, externalize it as opposed to internalize. Um, okay, the N is, so a bit of a stretch, not serious. Right, that's when we talked about humor. We talked about that sometimes we get very intense about other people's issues and we take them very personally. And one of the tools that we're told can help is to lighten up, to recognize that sometimes a person is never going to get it, that you have the ability to see their flaw, right? They said that humor means that you see the thing that's funny, that you know you would normally cry about, right? You go when you go when you go and listen to a comedian. Often, what makes you laugh is the thing that when you're in the situation in real life, you're crying and you're tearing your hair out. But when the comedian's up there on the stage and you've objectified it and you've removed yourself and you become an, a, an observer, right? And your emotions are intact, you know. You can laugh about it. So this is the tool that says, you know, don't cry about it. Don't get intense about it. It's not that serious. Realize whatever the situation with this person, you can see the flaw, you can see the deficiency, but you're not going to devalue the person. You're not going to say what an idiot, what a, you know, whatever it is that we say to sort of make ourselves feel better. You're just going to say, listen, this person is the way they are. This is the way they behave. I've said it a hundred times, I've tried to explain it, I've done this, and especially again when we're talking about circle one people, so we have three circles. We have circle one people who are the people in our immediate circle, they're the people we don't choose. They're our family members. They're our husband, I said, even though we think we chose him. <laughs> we think we chose him. But, uh, oh, I, I told you Adrienne Gold's line. She says, our husband our husband and our children are our homework. We give birth to our homework, mm -hmm. and we marry our homework. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, those are people in our circle one. And circle two people, hi, Sarah, come on in, are the people that we do choose. That we choose. They are, they're our friends. They're our people that we like. But we get. we said before that, you know, people who we choose, we can also let go of them. Right? When the friendship or the relationship is becoming difficult, come on in here. I want to see you. <laughs> you know, the what? See, the end is not serious. Not so serious. Not so serious. Take it easy. Don't get so intense about it, right? Okay, so, and we know that circle three people are the people who come in and out of our lives that can aggravate us or that we can become ticked off by or that we can say, how could they? Or, you know, that was my parking spot. How dare you? Right, but those are people who come in and out of your life. And of course, in the mouthing it. What? Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And of course, they're also a measure of right. how worked up we get over those things, okay? They are a measure for us. They are our inner teacher, right? All the people that happen to us are there, whether in either of those three circles, to help us work to develop ourselves and to let us know what are the things that get us upset. 
and what are they touching? We talked about triggers. What are they triggering within us? And that was the next one. So we have measuring stick, express yourself, not serious. What's the, the D? The D is, um, oh, the D and the I are divine instruction. So we said about the D, we shouldn't ask, why is she doing this to me? Why is he doing that to me? But we should take it up to the divine level and say, why is he doing this to me? Why is she doing this to me? Why do I have to have this, you know, why do I have to have this in my life? Why does it keep coming back again and again and again, sometimes in the same form, sometimes in different forms? So the D that goes into the I, we're going to put those together, is basically divine instruction, or the I could be introspect, right? That when we feel that pain, that offense, that sting, of course, that's our primary response. We speak about that all the time. We're not responsible for our primary responses. Those are just the way we're, we're wired. Some of us are more easily offended. Some of us are less. But nobody goes through life without being offended at some point. Or another. Some of us let it go much more easily, like water off a duck's back. Others hold on to it and have a much more difficult time with it. Right, but the I is also um, not just divine instruction, but in introspection to introspect about what it is that's causing you to feel this way and to use it as instruction for yourself. Okay, so the last one we're talking about today is the T is for tefillah. Okay, and um, so tefillah is basically that we turn to Hashem when we're going through something like this. We ask Hashem to help us to let it go. We ask Hashem to speed up the process because, again, it's very important to realize our primary response we're not responsible for and our secondary response can sometimes take a long time to get to depending on the depth of the hurt. So it's okay if you're taking six months to get over this hakpada and you're trying to crumble it, and you're trying to work it through, whether it's talking to a friend about it, whether it's letting it go, whether it's realizing it's the other person's issue and I can't fix it, right? Whatever the process is, it can take a long time or it can take a few days or the more we practice these tools, the better we can get at moving from that primary response of ouch to the secondary response of, again, taking it, this is another principle we talked about, taking it from the regesh, the emotional place, and moving it to the seichel. Okay, I feel this pain, I have this issue, something happened, I don't like this feeling, now what am I going to do with it? Now, hakpada is when you leave it there, when you just let it sit there, and hurt, and hurt, and become this monument, Right? Exactly. And of course, we said that the definition of hatred is anybody who ignores another person out of animosity for three days, three different specific situations where they could have tried to create connection or done something that even if the other person wasn't aware made you feel more like, I talked to this person, I gave them a present, I took the high road and said, you know what, you can have that, I'm going to get something else. Right? So, um, 
can't think at this time in the morning. Oh. <laughs> All right. I'm doing okay, I know, but every once in a while. Whoa. Diet Coke. Diet Coke? Maybe. Is there anything is there hot water though? I don't yeah, want to I, make I, it. I oh I couldn't oh. see it. Okay, maybe oh, I'll have no, you know what? I'll just have a little Diet Coke. It's fine. It's perfect. Diet Coke for breakfast. Sounds great. How do you take your coffee? No, I don't nice. usually drink coffee. <laughs> so together. It, it, it disturbs me. Um, so, um, how do you take your coffee? No, right. We're talking about right. So we don't want to leave it in the uh, regash. How do you take your coffee? I don't. I don't take it. Chris, it's not a commercial. That's dating. I that is dating. That is I know. Yeah, I get an image of Andrea. I get an image of Andrea Cross in Hebrew school. I used to eat it like for the entire Hebrew school session. You know, like she'd take off every layer, you know, and lick each one, and it was like, you know, okay. Um, it lasted the whole two hours of after school Hebrew school, right? It was the best bar to get. It was the most for your money. Right? It really was. No, if it was kosher, no. Anyway, was, everything was, was kosher. Was yeah, everything was. Oh, you check the ingredients. <laughs> in those, those days, they say everybody was. Yes. I remember checking the ingredients. Yeah, we could have had. Mm. Wait, was that chocolate? Well, that's more. good. I in it. Okay, so back to tefillah. So tefillah is basically we ask Hashem for a lot of things. We ask Him to stop wars. We ask Him to heal the sick, to make us uh, our parnasa good, etc. So why can't He help me get past resentment? Why don't we think about asking Hashem for something like that, something that's internal, something that is eating us up alive, right? And she gives an example. She says, you know, when the thing happens to us, or if you can think of a situation in your own lives, you know, five years ago, something happened that was eating you up alive. And for some reason, as time goes by, you know, time heals, right? It becomes a little bit less intense. And, you know, five years later, it's not even bothering you. So at some point, you stopped agonizing over it. At first, you could have been going back to it 50 times a day. Then it went to 40, then it went to 30. And your radar, radar screen at some point was consumed with a certain relationship. But very slowly, almost like the way a child grows, it becomes, it's not measurable. And the issue goes off your radar screen. So, you know, it's very common that something that we could think about that used to kill me in the past, whenever I think about it, which could be often, now doesn't bother me at all, okay? Because she says the psyche does not always maintain the same intensity. It's a natural phenomenon for time to heal pain. And what we're doing when we turn to Hashem and Tefillah, we're, we're saying to Hashem, Hashem, you can do this more quickly. You can help this process along more quickly for me. So she talks about the brain plasticity. When I say she, a lot of this material is coming from Dina Schoonmaker, who's a Torah psychologist. She teaches at Michlala in Israel, and she gives a lot of vadim all over Yerushalayim. She even told me if I make Aliyah, there's so much, I, sh I can do it too, because there's so many women who are coming out to these things and just love it, and, and, and this is, they get together over this, and these are the things they talk about, real life, practical situations with, you know, Torah, a wisdom that helps us understand it. 
So basically, brain plasticity tells us that the brain is able to change. And addictions are created by certain neurons that are being fired. It's like information on a screen, like we said before, when you click on Amazon for boots, it'll be, you know, for months that boots will pop up for the next few months because it's kind of like you've created that plasticity in the brain and the Amazon knows it and they say, here, have this, have this, how about this, do you want this? And they're firing up your neurons and that's what addiction is basically. Um, it's interesting, there's a, I think I've mentioned this, but they say that our society that we're living in now actually feeds a part of the brain which is called, not the juvenile brain, but the, what's another word for juvenile? The um, infantile. Yeah, infantile, right? The infantile part of our brain which wants immediate satisfaction and gratification. And every time we click on our phones and we click on something and we get that, that we get that endorphin or that whatever it is boost, we're actually feeding that part of the brain, which is kind of scary. Mm -hmm. And that part of the brain is getting more and more, if you want, developed. Again, you know, we, we developed it when we were babies. It was there and we grew out of it. But we're actually reverting back to it. And a very scary part of it is some of the... Um, the uh, intellectual uh, work that discusses this inf infantile brain is that it says that it's naturally attracted to authoritarianism, mm -hmm. you know, to authoritarian type of governments and people which will just say, you know, do what, do what I say and you'll get what you want. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to have to think. I don't want to have to think about it. So it's it's very scary, but anyway... So this is what addiction is. It's a strong pathway. And the only way that you can close it off is by not using it. And that's why addict people who are addicted to anything, internet, right, whatever it might be, the idea is to get off of it because otherwise you keep firing up those neurons that, that want it. So she gives an example that, you know, a strong pathway that you close off by not using it. She gives an example of a woman who... Unfortunately, he has a husband who passed away, and after 30 years, she marries somebody else. And, you know, maybe somebody will say, I don't understand. How can she marry someone else? You've lived with this man for I don't know how long. How can you go into, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about. Like, it, it must be very difficult, right, to um, begin a new relationship later on in life. And she says... Um, but that strong connection that you had with your husband obviously weakens as time goes on and makes room for something new to come in. And there is a loosening of one attachment to create another one. Another example she gives is women with many children. Right? It's always the question after you have your first baby. How will I ever have other children? I have so much love for this child. I can't imagine having to spread myself to other children, right? But of course, the attachment somehow loosens a little bit, never, never, never completely with that first child, because that first child seems to always have that, that, that strongest attachment. You know, you made me into a mummy, right? And I actually once asked a woman who had 14 <laughs> kids, I asked her, why is it that whenever I go shopping, even though I already have three kids, I'm always thinking of the oldest, like, oh, but what does he need, even though he's already got enough? So she gave a very wise answer. She said, listen, it's the way that is. God made it that way that you're obsessed with the first one because that's the one that's also you're going to be the hardest on, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's the one that everyone else is going to follow. 
He's the duck, you know, that all the other imprinting is going to take place. So, yes, you are going to have to give him more. And Hashem wired you to be obsessed with that one because they need more. Because, wow. yeah, yeah, because of the, you know, and she just said this, like, she had 14, three sets of twins. Tiny little lady, my Haftorah teacher. And, um, yeah, that's what she said. She said, don't worry about that. That's, that's, that's normal because you're gonna, you're gonna give it to him if he, you know, he needs that extra cushioning. Right? So very interesting. Okay. So, um, so what do we ask Hashem? We're basically asking Hashem to d- distract us, to, that we should stop dwelling on this painful situation. I ask Hashem to remove from my head, heart, and psyche things that bother me and make room for more pleasant thoughts. Please help me move on. Okay, these are the kind of words that you could you could mm-hmm. say when you're in this kind of situation. Now, you know, so much of tefillah has to do with emunah. You know, oh, does Hashem really care about what, what my little life and what, whether I'm having hakpada against somebody? And, and, you know, he's busy with the big things in the world. He's got wars. He's got this. And it doesn't matter whether you grew up from or you didn't grow up from. It's, it's a natural thing that we have to constantly fight, that God really cares. I mean, I once gave this example. You probably think it's crazy, but... You know, once in a while, you know, I try it out, especially when I can't open the lid to something. Have you ever tried out davening to Hashem for that? I know. But, you know, Hashem is in the details, right? When we say Hashem who gadol, Hashem is great. Well, he's not great because, you know, he makes the dead rise and he you know, does these huge magical tricks or he, you know, keeps the world spinning around. I mean, okay, that's great. Obviously, it's great. Or, you know, he creates all of nature. You're minimizing God if you don't understand that the true greatness is that he cares about you getting the cap off the Tide detergent when you're downstairs going nuts because you want to do the laundry, right? And you can't. And you say, Hashem, I can't get this off. Please help me. And the crazy thing is, and I'm not, don't try, don't try this at home, but don't come back to me and say you're returning the product, right? But I'm telling you, I remember teaching this in the village hall and I said, I tried it. I, I do it sometimes and I do it in front of my kids and I do it in front of my grandchildren. And I've done that since they were little to make Hashem real, you know? And I said, Hashem, I, and I had been trying for a while. And I just said, Hashem, I can't get this off. Can you help me? And I'm telling you like butter. Okay? Okay, I already loosened it. (laughs) Thanks a lot. You know? Forget what I promised you. I already loosened it, right? But the point is, is that we don't think about asking Hashem in those small things. Forget about the external things, but the internal things, those things that aren't so small, but we don't think Hashem is interested in. But the more we turn and the more we ask and then the more we see things happen immediately, well, what does that do for the relationship, right? We feel this, this glue, we feel the glue, we feel, and then we can weather the storms better, right? We can weather the storms because we've been creating this relationship in the small things and when things are going well. And we can, you know, that, that's what gives us the ability to keep going when, when, when the sun is behind the clouds. And we have to flex muscles that, you know, are not easy to flex. So that's what tefillah is. 
So we can say, we can say, Hashem, please help remove the situation. Okay? That's a different way. Okay? So let's say we can't do anything about what just happened, but we can ask Hashem to help us heal, help us move on, help us not to be so fixated on whatever happened, you know, so that I don't have to eat myself up. Or she says, and she gives examples in her own life working at Michlala, that there were a couple of people in on staff at Michlala that she was very disturbed by. Maybe it was male figures in the uh, Hanhala or whatever. She didn't like the way they interacted with the girls. There were certain stories. There were different things. And she really couldn't do much about it. So she said that she just finally turned to Hashem and said, you know, help remove the situation. And she said she couldn't believe it, but twice, literally, the person was removed that she was davening for to remove because she felt she was just in a situation where that was the only thing she could do. And we know that when we say, oh, well, there's nothing to do, I guess I'll try prayer. I mean, we don't, we don't see prayer as a last resort in Judaism. We know that Yaakov Avinu prepared to meet his brother Esav with, you know, he did the gifts, right? He prepared for the war. But tefillah was up there with the other two methods of hishtadlus. So we don't see tefillah as a last resort. Nothing else works. I guess I'll try God. You know? I mean, I tried everything else. I, I, I tried my connections. I tried my money. I tried my, you know, I tried the people who owe me favors. I tried this, I tried that. No, it should go along with those things. But very often we forget about it, right? No atheist in a foxhole. But even as people who grow up with God, the concept of God and, you know, even opening up our sitters every morning, we wouldn't say, well, could you help me with the Tide bottle? Do you mind? I know you're busy, but, you know, <laughs> I hope I'm not being matriarch you with my, but you know what? That's what makes Hashem big, that you're not. And he wants you to ask him with all those little tiny things, like I always say, getting the parking spot by the bay, but now we're going for the little, you know, bottle on the, on the medicine that you can't get open, right? Okay, so the idea here, though, is that if you really want something, the circumstances can change. She said these people that were removed were, uh, they ended up changing their professions and they were no longer in a position of leadership. Um, so you can say to Hashem also, remove my pain about this. And realize that Hashem can loosen the power the situation has over me. All of a sudden, the same person comes to mind, and I don't feel the same way I used to. Because Hashem is the kol yachol. He can help me not harbor the pain and resentment. But there's a psychological dimension also to asking Hashem to remove the pain. Because what am I saying when I ask Hashem to remove something? It shows that I'm ready and willing to part with this. Now, why would it be that we would actually like to hang on to this resentment? What benefits do we get subconsciously for being angry or upset or whatever it is with the other person? Any ideas? Well, you're turning everything out to the other person. You're not thinking about your part in it. Um, you're not reflecting it keeps your mind busy, like everything is like out, like being angry at them. But it's you're not really justified. out because you're... Well, you're keeping it in, but it's like you're 
feelings are focused on the uh, even though you're, you're stuffing them down uh -huh. it's like there's a lack of introspection it's like but okay, why would you like that why, why would i mean what like what what's the benefit of that and you blame them for everything. Okay, great. Yeah. So that's part of um, that we call the martyr syndrome. Mm -hmm. Not no no. no that's <laughs> martyr. Sorry, I don't have any martyrs here. Right, martyr, martyr. Um, yeah, you know, it's like, well, you know, I'm going to keep going over this and over this because, well, you know, I'm the martyr. I'm I'm the one. I'm the good guy in this scenario. I'm the good guy. You're obviously the bad guy. I make. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm feeling. Yeah. Why else? I'm just wondering. Um, if you if you take responsibility for your actions and even though you don't know what exactly you did to cause such feelings of animosity towards you so this is hanging over your head for so many years and you, you're trying to find resolution but it simply won't come from the other side like you, you you're trying to make peace or you're trying to change things. So, how do you, how do you, how do you find resolution? I mean, I think that's a bit of a different topic, but that is, you know, that is, how do you find resolution? You, you know, I mean, if you can't talk to the other person, right? So that's what we've been talking about. You need to either let it go, ask Hashem to help you, just let it go, help you to be able to move on, like we said. We know that we move on. We move on with a lot of things in life, and they become dimmer and dimmer and less and less intense. So sometimes that's the answer if we can't fix it up in any of these other ways. But one of the things she says, okay, so we talked about why would we want to hang on to it? Why wouldn't we want to? You don't have to look at what your part You don't have to look at what your part. I think that's a very important thing, you know, because a lot of people are just like, well, they were wrong, and, you know, and that's it, and I'm going to feel... Like, I'm right, and they're wrong, and it makes me feel good about myself. I get a certain psychological benefit of feeling like I'm the better person, I'm the higher person, I'm the one who's blameless, okay? So that's like just human behavior 101, right? Um, there are people like that, right, who never introspect, who never take ownership for a situation that happened. And we said when we were talking about tohaha, we talked about modeling accepting tohaha, right? You want to give it out. You're good at dishing it out, but you can't take it. You're telling everybody else what's wrong with them. But one of the ways we said, especially for our families and the people around us, that when we accept tohaha in a humble way, in a way that says, you know what, I didn't think I did anything wrong, but you know what, even if there was 1% of the 99% that I think, you know, really you really read that the wrong way, you really interpret it. But if there's one, you know, if I could be more sensitive, if I could not bring that subject up, if that's a subject that gets you going, then okay, I'll take ownership for that. But I'm not going to be devastated by the fact that maybe there was something I did because I have more self-esteem than that. Obviously, this all comes down to self-esteem and how good you feel about yourself. Somebody who doesn't feel good about themselves wants to feel like they're has the illusion of perfection and anybody who points out any imperfection is is not happy about that right somebody who has a better sense of self-esteem like we said last week they could be standing behind a door with their worst enemy and their greatest friend who are both recount or remunerating or listing all of your negatives and all of your positives 
And you could be standing behind that door and saying, neither of them are telling me anything new about myself. I'm very full, fully aware of my negatives, you know, of the fact that I'm impatient, disorganized, da 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 And I'm also very much aware of my positives. And I walk around holding both of them, taking ownership for both, and realizing that the truth is, and we said this in other classes, I had nothing to do with either of them because God gave me these negatives and he gave me these positives. And I can either, you know, make the negatives worse, I can make the positives better, whatever. But this is my, this is what I have to work with. And we all do. So a person who is holding on, the benefit is I'm right and you're wrong. And right. And we also said that there's a need to feel afflicted. This is another idea. that The person actually likes the feeling of, they're getting some kind of psychological benefit about feeling like everybody's picking on me. You know, everybody's, you know, people don't like me. People, right? Because it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. And maybe it lets you off the hook of having to change or become something else. Or So there's a certain psychological benefit to being able to stay where you are. In either case, okay, whether you're, you enjoy being afflicted, poor me, you know, or you want to have the, um, you know, the illusion of perfection, okay? So when I ask to have it removed, I'm saying that whatever the benefits I'm getting from holding on to this hagpada, that I don't even realize, um, that that's why I'm hanging on to it. I'm ready to let it go. So when you turn to Hashem, you say, help me to move on from this. This is just draining my energy. I don't want to have to wait five years for this to <laughs> get out of my life, okay? Help me to learn what I need to learn from it. Help me to understand why this person was sent to me. But also, help me to just let it go. Okay, so that's what tefillah is. Okay, so mend it. Come on, let's hear you guys. What's the what's the M for? Measuring stick. The measuring stick. Good. We have to drop the measuring stick and walk away. That's something that only takes place in the internal. Nobody knows we're doing it except us. The E is express. Express. Right. I just want to make sure it works. Oh. <laughs> no, it worked. That you guys know it. Okay. Okay. What about the N? Not serious. Not so serious. Right. Okay. The D I. Divine inspiration. Right. Instruction. And introspection. Right. Why are you doing this to me? There must be something that I can learn from this. There must be something about myself that. I get triggered. So what is it that I need? Maybe I need more privacy. Maybe I need more, you know, like we, I gave the example. Maybe I need to go to my room when there's too many people in my house and just take a break from all the <laughs> stimulation. I mean, instead of getting freaked out and yelling or whatever, right? So, you know, why is this happening to me? And the T again is tefillah. Okay, so... We finished. Yay. We're all perfectly imperfect. <laughs> but anyway, so the more we're all we practice, along with halos around right? We've all got halos around our head. So, um, our new topic is if if it's a topic that you want to do. Well, it's a topic I've been teaching, and it's actually funny because I think. A lot of people don't think of themselves as jealous. Um, you know, it's not something that they really struggle with. Oh, that's anybody that's else on water? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pass them around. 
Does anybody want to make any comments on what we just finished? Or I, I'd like to ask something. Yes, Sometimes I think you can't help it. It's a loop. You, you, you know, like the thought process is a loop. Like you have, you've been in it so long that it's hard to break that loop to go uh -huh. to the next, you know, brain connection. You're just going the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, I think that it can be in a voda. It can be in a voda for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. You know, depending on how deeply it went and how difficult it was, and you know, it can be something that that really, and it can be part. It can be very difficult. I think when you know, it's it's sort of wired into your homer, like we said. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about homer and sura that. You know, what we said before about the negative and the positives, Hashem creates us in a certain way. And you can't really change your homer. You know, that's that's one of the principles of Musser, is that, you know, you can't really change who you are. Um, you know, like there's those famous sayings, like I can't, I don't remember who said it, maybe the Chafetz Chaim said that it, it's easier to learn the entire Talmud mm -hmm. than to change one Mida. Right? That, you know, you can spend... And so we have to say, you know, I can't change the speed. I was like this since I was three. They say that if you look at a child at three years old, mm -hmm. pretty much all their personality traits are there. Mm -hmm. If you can remember your kids of what they were like at three, that who's who they are. It's pretty much developed by then. It's pretty much developed by then. Yeah. You know? Whether they're sharing their pretzels or they're not, right? Whether they're crying when anything happens, it's like, what happened? Nothing. Right. Nothing. Right? And, you know, I mean, if we have parents that we can say, what was I like at three years old? It's tremendous insight into who we are and what our homer is. And so I think what you're touching on is, you know, there are certain, you know, we each have our areas of difficulty where we just go around and around and around. And that's the avoda. The avoda is, again, it can be a minuscule change. It can be a, a minuscule aha, mm -hmm. right? But that is what Hashem is so precious to Hashem. That's what Hashem values, he made us this way, and he, he knows exactly. That's why we say nobody else can judge us. That's why we talked about my self-worth has to come from here, not from here. Because he's the only one that knows what I grapple with and what I struggle with. And he's the only one that says, good, good going. I know how hard that was for you. I know how difficult that is for you. You know, you have a propensity towards sadness, or you have a propensity towards anger. Or you, have, you know, I gave it to you. And I know how hard you work to overcome it, you know. So, so anyway, all of these topics that we're discussing, and we're going to talk about jealousy now, it, are all intertwined and very much related to each other. And the sources for, you know, so much of getting over these things have to do with our self-esteem and developing it more and confidence, etc. And, you know, feeling good about ourselves, about not comparing ourselves to other people, realizing that we have exactly what we need, realizing that our home is very different from the person next to you. 
and what's easy for me is hard for you and what's hard for you is easy for me. So when I judge you or when I say, why can't you be like me? And why can't you, you know, entertain a hundred guests like I do every Shabbos? And why can't you, you know, whatever it is that we, we are very, very different and we're wired very differently. And, you know, just, I mean, you know, even last, I have to tell you something personal because I'm a very transparent person, but that's just <laughs> part of who I am. You know, like, I have a very hard time in the winter with seasonal affective disorder. I know a lot of people do. And I got one of those lights, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, while I went to my doctor, she goes, it, I said, do they work? She says, yes, but you have to sit in front of it for four hours. <laughs> and I'm like, hello? <laughs> like, really, that's great. I'm giving it back to Costco. You know? <laughs> like, you know, Or I would joke, I would say, I'm going to get one of those lights. I'm like, I'm going to sit in front of it. I'm going to win the lottery. And like, all these things are going to happen, right? Because I got the light, you know. And, you know, everybody's going to get married. And there's going to be no poverty in the world. And all the suffering is going to go away. And it's all because of this lamp. Wow. Money back guarantee. No, so the point is, is, you know, I went into my yoga class yesterday and the, my yoga teacher is wonderful. I don't know if anybody's ever studied with Kinera. Yeah, she's yeah, my daughter. daughter. But she's I like a bundle of joy, okay? Well, she's here. Yeah, she's, yeah. yeah, she's in. So why in, uh, is she posting from Israel? Because she, she teaches courses in Israel. She does uh, yoga instruction in Israel and New York oh. twice a year. But anyway, she's so okay. full of joy. And, you know, I'm coming into her place on Sunday morning. I, I'm having a bout of sadness trying to and the truth is I, I, I worked on myself I, I I was saying as I, I told her this is that I was leaving my house I decided I'm gonna say every sentence starting with I'm happy that right so I did like I'm happy that I have a warm house I'm happy that it wasn't the gratitude thing it was more like saying the words changes the way you feel right I'm happy that I have a stick to shovel all the snow off my car with because I have used my hand before it's not pleasant right you know I'm so happy this is such a good stick right I'm happy that I'm going to yoga whatever it was right but so I come into the class and it's so interesting because what does Kinnerit say to me she goes Everybody is so depressed these days, you know, and she cannot understand it at all, right? She's going like, I don't know, all my clients have been coming in for the last two weeks. I hate the winter. I can't stand the wet. Everything's so good. And she goes, and I keep telling them, you have to find your joy inside. You have to, and I'm telling you that she's authentic, okay? Because she's like a little kid. And, you know, anyway, I'm listening to her. Then I do the yoga class. I'm having trouble with my balance and I'm watching other people all of a sudden doing everything right. And I realized last night in bed, you know what, I was really, I was, I was very, I was, I felt sad, but I realized that jealousy causes sadness. That in other words, jealousy is like, well, why can't, why can't, why are you so happy, number one? Like, like. That's making me sadder because I'm comparing you to me. Because you don't have what yeah, they have. Yeah, I don't have what they have, yeah. so I'm comparing it to you. And then I could be saying, like, like you know, you're so um, good at what you do. Like, you're teaching yoga. You're such a master at it. You've worked at it your whole life. You're so good at it. You're making me feel jealous because I'm feeling less than, right? I'm feeling less than. And that's part of the feeling of jealousy. I'm feeling less than. Just before I left this morning... I just looked on the internet just to see some quotes, and we're going to talk about the difference between envy and jealousy, which is interesting because they're not so clear in the English, and in the Hebrew, 
there is a more of a clarity, but even those are always seem to be interchanged. And even Saras Ayan, which is another type of jealousy, probably the worst of them all, is also sort of, they, they, they use them interchangeably. But I'll just give you a few quotes. Um, so envy is the art of counting others' blessings instead of your own. Very nice, right? Jealousy is a lack of self-confidence. So that's what I experienced last night. And I thought, Hashem, why are you doing this to me? Okay, I know, because I'm giving this class on jealousy. You want me to really feel what I feel like. Yeah, I think I'm much more aware. And then I was thinking, my God, maybe that's like the whole root of my sadness is that I'm jealous of everything and everyone, right? No, it's no but I was going there. I was going there. I was going, maybe, I never thought of myself as a jealous person, but maybe the sadness and the jealousy is interconnected. But you could see how it could be, right? You could see how it could be, okay? But there can be other reasons, obviously. I, I It's a chemical imbalance, whatever. I have a good person. No. Okay, okay, it says you can be the moon and still be jealous of the stars. Okay? The jealous are troublesome to others, but a torment to themselves. Mm -hmm. Because who is jealousy really eating up alive? Just like Hakpada, right? Mm -hmm. Jealousy, right? Taiva, Akina, Taiva, Kava, remove a person from this world. You cannot function. It's like a mental illness has completely taken you into a different reality because you're so consumed, right? True confidence has no room for jealousy. They said jealousy is a, a, a mental illness, which actually there is a mental illness that is basically jealousy or a person, okay? So this is a nice one. It says, what if both jealousy and envy, and this is more of a, a Jewish, uh, it's definitely a Jewish approach. What if both jealousy and envy were ways to, to lead us to our true calling, help us reach our fullest potential and access our deepest desires? So again, what we're jealous of, what creates those feelings, again, are, like we said with Hakpada, they can be the teachers that tell us what it is that is important to us or what it is that we're jealous of, what we want, right? Especially if it's a spiritual value or a value or something that we want to be better at, right? Like... Um, you know, the end of the yoga class, whatever, everybody talks to her about their issues, right? So I always try to escape and pretend nothing's wrong with me. <laughs> but, you know, I said to her, it's really hard for me because I, you know, because I was a dancer and, you know, I took a lot of ballet lessons and balancing was never a really big issue for me. And all of a sudden, like, I'm having trouble, like, balancing, and, you know, to her, who teaches so many people, she's like, well, Devorah, that's just part of getting older. <laughs> okay, well, that could be, now I'm jealous that you're younger than me and you have these problems, right? <laughs> you know, and she's going, you know, you just have to practice. And she's so cute. She's like, so when you're in line at Metro, okay, I'll do this for everybody, okay? You just, okay, she goes, I would stand like this, but everybody would think I'm crazy, okay? But I stand like this. She just lifts up. And yeah, she lifts up. Well, 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 right? Yeah. She yeah. lifts up one foot. She said, I stand like this when and, I'm standing And suck in your gut at the same yeah. time. And suck in your gut. You she said, you know, you can stand with one foot in front of the other. Right? Mm -hmm. You can do these things all day long, and your balance is going to get better. Mm -hmm. 
right? I and then she talks about herself, how when she goes to the gym, there's a woman there who, there's a half dome. You know what the half dome yeah. is? Oh, so yes. it's, a, it's a balancing thing, right? So right. she says, you know, you should go and stand on that. So she goes, you know, when I first started doing that, it took a while to get my balance. She said, now I flip it over. Oh. Now oh, I balance oh, on it on the other right. side, yeah. which is the flat side right. and the dome parts. Right. Okay, and I can stand on that. No problem. She goes, and now I go like this on it, okay? And I'm like, okay. And she goes, and there's a woman next to me that I've been watching for weeks, and you know what she does? And she does this, of course, standing on the ground. She takes her leg and lifts it all the way up. <laughs> and she does that on that dome. So I'm very excited for you, Devorah, because, you know, there's lots of things that you can do to, to do this, right? And of course, I'm like, okay, great. You know? But I'm, you know, I just want to be there. I just want to be jealous. I just want to be sad that I'm not or that, you know, I'm getting older and all those bad. She goes, Devorah, those ballet lessons were a long time ago. And I'm like, I know, but like your body has a memory, doesn't it? And like, I know the principles. I know I'm supposed to suck in my gut and have the string on my head and all that stuff. I know that. But why is it not working anymore? Right? Anyway, okay. So enough about me. Let's talk about what you think of me. <laughs> okay, so jealousy. Let's let's just start that. How are we doing with time? Are we okay? Ten twenty. Yeah. Oh boy, I have to talk a lot, don't I? Give me some more coke. I mean, I love talking, but nine thirty in the morning is just. I can't drive home. Oh. Okay, so envy is as old as the beginning of creation, right? It happened in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. the, they were told, the Mephorshim talk about how the Nachash was actually jealous of the relationship between Adam and Chava. And he wanted Chava for himself. And it's interesting because that is one of the definitions, um, is that envy is wanting what somebody has, but jealousy is, is, is three parties are involved in it. That, you know... I'm jealous of the third person that they're going to take away, for example. You know, you have a friendship with somebody else, and then you see that friend walking with somebody else when you're a kid or even older, right? And you're jealous of the fact that there's a relationship that's happening there that makes you feel less than, right? So think about that. Or, you know, somebody just got, you know, whatever. They, you know, it could be a husband and wife and some other buddy's wife or you know, that can happen all the time. Jealous of the attention that somebody's getting. Jealous of, you know, they just got a brand new car and they didn't take me for a ride in it. They took somebody else for a ride in it first, you know. So they can be aroused by that. And envy, they say, is more that I envy something you have and I want it, okay? So that's out there in the in the secular world. I'm just saying in Judaism and Torah, it's a little bit uh, we're gonna we're gonna say that jealousy. Could yeah. I just ask? Yeah. What about when it, it, this happened at, at the house where yeah. two of my grand one one got some prize at show, mm -hmm. and the two brothers looked at it, and each one of them went quietly to it and broke it, like like went and did a little <laughs> bit. It was like a squishy that you liked. There was like a little bit, and they they broke they, each other's or they broke their no, own? they broke hers. They didn't get prizes. Oh, they didn't. Prize. They didn't oh, get yeah. Prizes. So that's jealousy, of course. Yes, but it's a jealousy where. It's not, I want that. I'm going to make sure that it's broken for her. I don't want them to have it. Yeah. That's our assignment. Yeah. We're going to talk oh, about that. That's really that's that's another a, that's a, Oh, yes. That's, that's really, <laughs> that's the worst, okay? Yeah. That's the worst that's one. The worst. That's the worst. Yeah. We're going to talk about it. 
Yeah. yeah. So what is jealousy? Jealousy is an intense emotion of, emotional feeling which we sometimes have. I used to, I have a story actually from childhood. I don't mean, I don't know if it was jealousy or what, but you know, like my parents would go on vacation and they'd always bring me and my sister home the exact same thing in two different colors, right? So what did the other color? Of course, my of course. Always said that. And I was the older sister, right? I was the older sister, so I'd always pretend that mine was better. Like I like, I was very clever, right? So I'd say, "Oh, I like red so much better than blue. It's so much nicer. Mine is so much nicer." And of course, my sister would be like. You know, my sister who idolized every breath I took and, you know, whatever. Even today, like when people say, you guys sound alike, you guys, you know, I say, she's just imitation, okay? <laughs> All imitation, you know? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. anyway, so, you know, I would always do this to her. She, she, she jokes, she tells a story how she didn't catch on until she was about eight, right? So I was always like, oh, my red one's so much nicer than just, you know what? I'll give you my red one, okay? I'll give it to you if you oh, yeah. want it. I'm I'm willing to part with it, right? <laughs> and of course she'd give me she'd give me hers, right? So I did this probably who knows how you know I like your jewelry box, but my jewelry box is nicer. My my daddy gave me the nicer one. I can't believe, but you know what? I'm gonna give it to you. Okay. Anyway, whatever it was, right? So she said she finally dinged in, you know, and that was the end of that. I was finished with that, right? But you know, that kind of like Yenems yes, is better, yeah. right? Yenems is better. My uh, yeah. My sister tells me a great story. My sister Neely tells me that that she was the oldest, and then I was born. I was like, she was like thrown into the closet, and I was the <laughs> beloved child. Yeah. And then she once got sick, and she was lying in bed. And I remember this. I must have been two years old, but I took a, her bowl of eggs that she didn't finish. And cracked it over her head. Ooh, and she said to me, the one time I get attention, you can't handle it. Right. So jealousy, right? Is sibling the jealousy. You're breaking a bowl over my head because I took minutes of attention. Right. Exactly. It's very intense emotion. And um, yeah, so, you know, Kine and Hevel, right? Two brothers, right? They yeah. kill each other. He kills his brother, right? And we're going to talk about that a little bit. What was that? Where was that coming from? You know, why, how could envy and jealousy arouse such feelings that you want to just get rid of the other person, right? Um, okay, so in terms of levels of severity, okay, so what we're going to do in this course is we're going to go from the extreme negative, not necessarily, you know, staying in that order, but Saras Ion is considered the worst. Saras Ion is basically, I don't even need what you have. Mm -hmm. But I don't like you to have it. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to have it, mm -hmm. right? It just, yeah. uh, it, it's not good that you have it, okay? Then we have kina, which could be envy or jealousy, which we're going to say simply is, I want what you have, which is a natural, ordinary human emotion, right? I want something, you have it. It should be mine. I would, you know, you took my car, whatever it is. That's my car, isn't it? I mean, that's the one I want, right? And and then there's kina sofrim, which we're moving up which is a good type of jealousy or can be a good type of jealousy. That's when you're jealous of more spiritual type of things, right? You're jealous of the girl who has so much kavana, davening. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're a kid growing up in Beis Yaakov, you're jealous of somebody who gives a lot of tzedakah, you know, and you'd like to give more. So again, it could be good because it could motivate mm -hmm. you. Or it could be negative because it could be really negative because it's a spiritual thing and you hate the other guy 
who's giving more tzedakah, and you hate the other person who's telling with kavana, because, well, we'll talk about how it all comes down to self-esteem and confidence and how much we've developed ourselves, right? And how much we understand that we have our own Dalit Amos of work to do without being, uh, you know, tormented by everybody else around us, okay? And the last part of the whole thing is that what we want to develop is an ayin tova. An ayin tova, which is really the antidote to jealousy. A person who has an ayin tova is able to just go through life in a very positive way. And how do we get there? And what do we do to, to get there? Okay, so we'll just continue, we'll just begin. So, so the source of kina is often in self-absorption, egocentricity, and not being happy with oneself. So, of course, the antidote very simply is being happy with what you have, right? Count your own blessings. What do we say here? Uh, the act of counting other people's blessings instead of your own, right? So get busy counting your own and stop counting everybody else's, right? Um, so jealousy is a very intense emotion. The Ramchal and Parakut Aleph says there's four problematic midos. Gaiva, Ka'as, Taiva, and Kina. Everybody knows what those are? No, Gaiva no. is arrogance, mm -hmm. okay? Ka'as is anger. Taiva is desires. And Kina is jealousy. These are bad qualities, quote-unquote, um, whose evil is known to everyone. They are problematic on their own and also on what they produce. They all involve a certain loss of intelligence and good judgment. Everybody hear that? Desires, anger, arrogance. You blow yourself up to this, right? Not me. I could never do anything wrong, right? Like that person, right? Um, and kina, okay, loss of intelligence and, and good judgment. And it, it, it totally creates a loss of perspective. And even though a person might have a very high IQ, when they're in the grips of any of these four problematic mito, you're consumed with emotion. You go from being rational to irrational. So Rabbi Matisyao Solomon from Lakewood all ha has this, um, has this uh, mashal that he gives for the jealous person. He says, you know, you, you, you look across the street at your neighbor or, you know, down the block, and you say, wow, that's a nice car they got. Ooh, they got a new car. That's really nice. I wish I had a car like that, you know. And then you go to, you know what, I deserve a car like that. This all happens in a split second in your mind, of course. This is a split second progression of how we think, right? And then he said, we go to, um, I deserve a car like that more than they do. You know, hey, wait a second, that's my car. Robber, you stole my car! Right? <laughs> and that all happens in a split second, okay? And that is the illogicality of jealousy, that we move from the logical to the illogical extremely quickly. And it's so intense, this jealousy, that we're moved to get angry, to our, who, when we we're moved to anger at people who did nothing wrong. All they did was get a new car, right? <laughs> they didn't do anything to you. But just that, that, that whatever it is, right, that perfect kid, that 
beautiful husband-wife relationship that, you know, whatever it is that just is like, why do you have it? Why don't I have it? It, 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 it moves us to anger and against somebody who did nothing wrong to us. Okay, so we're going to give one example that's very interesting about um, the 12,000 pairs of Talmidim of uh, Rabbi Akiva and the Gemara. We all know the story. They all mm -hmm. die because why? They didn't give enough kavod to one another, right? That's what the Gemara says. They didn't give kavod to each other. There were 24,000 students, 12,000 pairs of of Talmidim and Yevamos Lamed base, it says they didn't treat each other with kavod. But Chazal tell us about that, that they had narrow eyes towards each other. They had saras ayin. Sara means narrow, like in the word Mitzrayim, tsar, right? We came out of Mitzrayim, out of this narrow place, out of this constraint and restrictive place. That was the idea of freedom, right? And um, Rabbi Friedlander asked the question, well, which one was it? Was it they didn't show kavod to one <clears> another, <throat> which is the one that I've always heard? Mm -hmm. Or is it that they had Saras Ayan? So Rabbi Friedlander says what the two sources are showing us is the cause and effect, that it was an internal process that was created first by the Saras Ayan, and because they had Saras Ayan on each other, that's why they couldn't treat each other with respect. So what was the Tsaris Ayan saying? So first of all, what is the word Tsar? We said Tsar is narrow. The word Tsar is also an enemy. Tsar ve'oyev, right? It's a type of an enemy. And believe it or not, in the Gemara, Tsara is a second wife. Okay, yeah, she's called, she's called, yeah, it makes sense, but it's so good, right? She's called a tsara. I used to say, I don't know, I kind of like the idea, you know, I'll be at the milk sink, she'll be at the fleshic sink, you know, I'll have someone intelligent to talk to during those childbearing years, years where I think I'm losing my mind, you know. <laughs> okay, um, so, um, of course, people would say, Tora, are you crazy? You really want that? No. <laughs> okay, Tsara okay. is a second wife. So what does that mean? It's my perspective on you is that I see you as an enemy. I see you as a threat, and I see you in a very narrow way. You've got the car that I want, right? I don't see anything else but that. You've got the kids I want. You've got that whatever it is. I can't see anything else about you. Except for that, it's very, very, and, and you know, okay. So, Tsaras Ayan makes it hard to like you. Now, why am I so bothered that things are going so well for you? That, you know, the, the thing is, I feel like we're in competition with each other. The fact that you are up makes me feel like I'm down. Your success, that you can balance on that half dome, right, is making me feel unsuccessful. And we have this with specific people in our lives, not with everyone. We can be happy for others as long as we don't feel like we're in competition with them, right? So we tend to be in competition with people who are in our own social circles, right, whatever those are. We tend to be in competition with people who have the same skill sets and are in the same profession or business, or talents, right? Those are the people that tend to arouse our jealousy and make us question, well, how good are we really? There's a healthy way to look at 
envy. Yeah, we're going to get there. Tekina Sofri. That's that's we said that, and that is that is a Jewish view that every mida can always be used for good, which is quite revolutionary to think that way because you don't have that in Catholicism. You know, you don't have. I remember I was once. This was years ago. I was reading Gateway to Happiness on the bus, and I had a Catholic woman sort of reading over my shoulder. And we started talking, and she said, she said, oh, what's that book? Oh, blah, blah, blah. So I, you know, it was a new fresh belt shuva. I wanted to teach everybody everything. No, I just said, well, you know, Judaism, we say that nothing's really bad or good. It's how you channel it. You know, it's what you do with it. She goes, oh, we don't have that in Catholicism. I mean, you're just, like, bad if you're jealous. You're just bad if you're angry. You're just bad. You better get rid of it. You better do penance. You better confess. You better, you know, she goes, wow, that's so refreshing. You know, so you know we don't even realize what a different, what a, what a different you know. So the fact is, like like Orna's saying, yeah, jealousy can be used for good. We're going to talk about that. So um, so there's kind of inverse relationship. Yeah, we have with other people. How am I doing with time? Yeah, five minutes or finished. Okay, so we're going to stop there then. Okay, again, Saras Aya means I don't need what you have necessarily. I don't like that you have it because somehow your success makes me feel unsuccessful. Okay. Thanks for coming. Have a great day. 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 Have a great day.